Welcome to the program as we kick off another working week. It is the 4th of March. Thanks for joining us on SEN 1170 AM in Sydney, wherever you've got us on the SEN app, of course. Tops of 24 around Sydney town today. Cloud clearing, 26 tomorrow, and then it's going to get hotter during the week and up to about 30 by the weekend. Our Monday morning snap judgments this morning. What are the burning questions from the weekend? And in particular, the burning questions from Vegas. We'll do that thanks to Snap Fitness for the feeling. The text line 0457 736 736 and our Alltel open line 1300 01 1170. Awesome service, great product. Switch to Alltel today. Great to have them on board. And that open line's open for business. So here's what we're going to do. We've got a, a couple of guests coming up later. Barat Sundarason to talk cricket off the back of the first test victory by Australia against New Zealand. Brett Phillips from uh, the world of tennis with the first serve, of course, tonight. We'll cover Alex Demonor. But I want to open up this first hour to you. And I want to get your feedback from what you thought about Las Vegas. Now, we'll touch base, uh, touch base rather with Coach K, who's over there patrolling the streets. So again, it's just gone two o'clock in the afternoon. So we'll do that and continue to soak up the atmosphere. But if obviously you're like me and you watched all of this from home across the weekend and the build-up from home, even if you had a bit of FOMO, I want your opinion on it because this is where it really matters, back here. Now, I'll break down what it all means and what I think the big takeaways from the rugby league adventure into America really is but this is where I want your thoughts because now stuff starts to get real because it's back here where it really matters the cut and thrust of rugby league 1300 01 1170 is my open line number on the all tell open line this morning so if I think there's one overriding takeaway from the excellent adventure into America it's this the NRL can finally start to dream big dreams the game can finally start to believe that it is bigger than it thinks. Now, Peter Volandis, Andrew Abdo, and don't forget Lachlan Murdoch in all of this, can look back on this Vegas weekend and realise that everything they've been telling and selling the very insular world of rugby league now has legs. It has currency. And if the gambling, the broadcasting and streaming riches start to flow from it, that currency is cold, hard cash. And isn't it amazing what can be achieved when the first question of why is actually answered? Why play games in America? Why does the NRL want to get a foothold in the US? Why go there at all? There's money to be made. That's why. Good money. And Peter Volandis knows it. Now, you don't have to go too far back to understand why money matters more than ever. COVID nearly crushed the game of rugby league. There was next to nothing in the bank. The trusty bank of television was looking just as perilous. There were next to no assets, so alternative revenue streams needed to be found. And the game could quite literally not afford to ever be in that position again. So finally, rugby league had a proper reason to make this American dream work. Very different to the why when we played that state of origin exhibition match there in California back in 1987. There was no real why about that. It was, let's just go do it. But this is a very different reason. Gambling over there has changed and the NRL wants a piece of it. Broadcasting has changed worldwide 
and the NRL through its Watch NRL app, backed by Fox and News and Lachlan Murdoch, want a piece of it. So let's work our way through this. Atmosphere on the weekend, yesterday at Allegiant Stadium, even from here, sitting in our lounge rooms or wherever you watched these games yesterday, atmosphere, tick. The NRL is a sporting product, tick. Promotion, the lead up to the game, social media, the backing of the papers, Fox Sports coverage in particular, tick, 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 tick. The reach, we're going to have to wait and see on that. But it'll be big. Now, yeah, they had to wait to get from Fox Sports One, uh, Fox Sports 2 to Fox Sports 1 over there, but sometimes that's actually not a bad thing. Because if they're waiting for a college basketball match to finish in overtime, they're dragging the audience with them. So the reach here at home, over there, we'll wait and see. Money. Even if it's a trickle, it's a trickle more than they had last week when they started this whole thing. And they're hoping that that trickle becomes a river of gold. So even from afar, from our seats here, it is plain to see that the game has undergone a monumental shift. The NRL product is all of a sudden, in my opinion, a very different proposition. The game is different today than what it was two days ago. And remember that this wasn't state of origin or a grand final. These were two regular season games. Two of the four teams who played yesterday didn't make the finals last year. Two competition points in week one of the premiership don't win a premiership title. Yet this was an event on a really big scale. Did you feel it? Because if we can feel it back here in Australia, they're feeling it over there in America. It was an event on a big, big scale. Now, we had to go to Vegas to figure that out. But the NRL can now sit back and know that it's bigger than it thinks. And the challenge now has surely got to be, be even bigger in your own backyard. Is that the next step? Let me know your thoughts this morning. 0457 736 736. On the whole, a remarkable success. A remarkable success of what it meant for the game and why they took it over there in the first place. Do you agree or disagree? Let me know this morning. one 1170 Snap Fitness has got you covered. You can visit your local Snap Fitness to find out more at snapfitness.com.au. So some burning questions for Vegas. And dive in here. If, you'd, if you've got any or you've got some answers to these, I want to know what does the game look like? Here's a burning question for you off the back of this one. What do you think the game now looks like in five years? And honestly, if I had have asked you this last week, I'd probably expect a different answer. But I think we can now pose it this time around because the game has gone to new territory. Different territory for different reasons. So what does it look like in five years? We know that we've got another four years in Vegas locked in. So is opening round... After that, now for sale for good. Is the opening round of the NRL, the first double header, whatever you want to call it, is that now up for sale for good? Is that something that the game looks like over the next five years? How does the NRL now make every game an event? Not just a game of footy, 
but a big-time event. They had to do it in Vegas to capture that market. But it's now something that they, if they can do that in the first two regular games of the season, then surely they can do that every weekend. So how do you do that? That'll lead me to another question in just a second about fields. But actually on the fields, what about the dimensions of the field? Did it make a difference in your eyes to the product of the game? Does the game look different in five years if we have to start to fiddle around with the dimensions of the field? Shorter? Skinnier? Was it okay for you? Or not? Let me know. What did you like and what didn't you like from what you saw from Vegas? This is all from our perspective here. By the way, if you're listening on the SEN app over there and you feel like having your say, jump on board and let me know. But what did you like and what didn't you like from Vegas? Could this spell the end of suburban footy grounds further down the track? Now, here's a debate that I'm willing to have this morning because I'm torn on this one. I love suburban footy. I love traditional rivalry. You cannot forget where your bread is buttered. We've had that discussion on this program. But this is now different because if we're trying to make every game an event, and perhaps we're not, but if every game needs to be an event, can you make an event out of suburban footy games? And what about our newfound customers over there on the Watch NRL app. One minute they're watching footy at Allegiant Stadium and it's just lights and bells and whistles and fireworks and the lot going on. The next week they might be watching a match at Leichhardt Oval and when we get to the nitty-gritty of footy in the middle of winter and there ain't big crowds there and we're at Brookvale or Leichhardt or Belmore or wherever, how does that translate into a big event? So I don't want to see suburban footy grounds go but how do you make a big event out of every weekend? That's what Super League, when it first came here and pretty much upended the game of rugby league, Super League was trying to make everything a big event. When you go to the game of footy, it's an event. So let me know your thoughts on that. Winners and losers. Now, Manly and the Roosters, are they top eight material? Luke Brooks, we can have the discussion about him, just fitted right in. Like a glove. Number six, no problems. Looks happy, played well. Jason Saab has got an injury. That'll be a big setback for Manly in the early part of the season. The Roosters, we've attached one word to them, I think, collectively over the last two years, and it was clunky. Is the new word efficient for the Roosters? They were smart and slick. Then we've got the losers, Souths and Broncos. What are the warning signs there? And how much do we find out in round two when they meet each other, Rabbitohs v Brisbane, when they all get back home here. And of course, we'll keep our eyes on what's been happening with the Spencer Lenu issue, um, the NRL process going through it, the claim that he was um, racially vilified, or that sorry, he racially vilified Ezra Mann, who told referee Adam G that Lenu called him a monkey and he wanted to lodge a formal complaint. So we'll let that one play out its process and we'll keep you on board with that fair bit to unpack after the first round or what they were calling round zero, you can call the Alltel open line one 1170 this morning. Do you think the game has changed? I think it has. Not the product so much, not the actual game of football, of rugby league as we know it. Not too much has changed there, but in terms of what it can do now, where it sits in the landscape, what it can achieve, how it can think about itself. They're all pretty big questions, but happy to skip through them and dive into them as much as you want this morning on 
0457736736. Fair bit of cricket news around. Of course, Australia win the first test. The second test over there starts on Friday. Nathan Lyon, 10 wickets for the match and the highest score in the second innings. Did you see the, the numbers that popped up throughout that about Nathan Lyon, the most test runs without a half century, and we thought he was going to get there. Uh, he ends up getting out on 41, but what a performance too from Cameron Green, man of the match. In this World Test Championship cycle, Australia have played 11 tests. They've won seven, drawn three, and lost just the one. They are on the charge. Will Pukowski, it was really, really hard to watch the vision of him suffering a nasty blow in the Shield match at Belreve Oval against Tasmania. So hit in the head um, by a bouncer that he couldn't get out of the way of. In the end, no matter what he did in that position, he was unfortunately going to get hit in the helmet. He couldn't sway away from it. He, he wasn't in the position to try and play at it. And it was nasty to see. Dropped his back, collapsed to the turf and was assisted from the field. So the only thing that we can really say is that we hope that Will Pukowski's okay. Everything processional-wise, in the, in the right processes, will be taking place right now. Be guaranteed about that. So this 26-year-old unfortunately, is in another position where he's suffered a nasty head blow. As I mentioned, Alex Dimonor has won again on the ATP Tour. It's his eighth title there in Mexico. So he goes back-to-back -back at the Mexican Open. And we'll dig a bit deeper, too, in the world of Formula One because there's a power struggle going on. Now, regular listeners of this program have been following the story of Christian Horner. Now we can drag in uh, Max Verstappen, but more importantly, his dad, Jos Verstappen, who has really lit the fuse on this one. Basically, he has said that whilst ever Christian Horner is in charge now of Red Bull, the team is in danger of being torn apart. Not basically, that's exactly what he said. The team is in danger of being torn apart. This is Max's dad. There's a power struggle going on here, folks. And if I was a betting man... I would say that Christian Horner won't be in charge of Red Bull by the time that the teams get here to the Australian Formula One Grand Prix, if not sooner. Because if this power struggle is between essentially driver and the man in charge of the team, the team principal, in this case, I think it'll go the way of the driver. Now, his dad's behind this. And where does the vacant seat that's coming up at Mercedes play into all of this? Is it perfect um, op opportunity from the Verstappens to play out some power struggle? Well, I think so. But I also think that it, Formula One has a bigger problem at the moment, and it's that Max, Max Verstappen is so far down the road that it's going to be a boreathon if it continues. He won the opening race by 22 seconds from his teammate. He was 25 seconds clear of Carlos Sainz. And this will give you an indication of where Formula One is at at the moment. Ferrari are happy because they've halved the gap from this time last year. This time last year, they were 50 seconds behind. And now they're happy that they're only 25 seconds behind. The problem about that, that's about a third of a lap. That's a long, long way back. That's like the Melbourne Cup winner crossing the line and second and third are still 1,000 metres behind. Really, really interesting. So we can take a little bit of a closer look at that throughout the course of the program. So there you go. There's a fair bit on our plate on this Monday morning, 0457 736 736. Let's ask the burning questions and see if we can answer them on this Monday morning. Thanks to Snap Fitness, 
around the Vegas weekend. On the Alltel open line, let's go back to you, Greg. Good morning, mate. Thank you for uh, holding on there. I had to get to Brad. I think he had a pressing appointment. So unusual stoppages in sport. We had a weird one on the weekend where a chopper had to land on the, not in the middle, thankfully, Greg, of the uh, of the cricket ground that we were playing at, but just off the side there. What have you got for me? Okay, I'll never forget this one. It was the 84 missile stakes at Rose Hill. There was that much rain that the barriers got bogged. Right. One one by a horse called Blue Boot. They ended up having to have a flag start. Oh, wow! So they so yep. so they were were they dragging the barriers into place, and then it got bogged in the in the action of moving it, or were they just like yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, right, yep. Wow! I'll never forget that one. Yeah, eighty four. That much rain. That yeah, yeah. Never okay. forget that one. Talk me through the flag start. What do they do? Is it like the, um, was it I, like the old well, school was, gift, mate? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I I was uh, was eighty four. It was wasn't much pay TV and that around then. I just listened yeah. to it on radio, and uh, yeah, just Ian Craig. Yeah, it's going to be a flag start. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'll try. I'll try and <laughs> ready, find some ready, vision set, of go. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ready, set, go. First to the line wins. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate it, mate. And thank you for holding on. Unusual stoppages in sport. So. The barrier's getting bogged. I haven't heard of that one before, but it makes absolute sense, doesn't it? I mean, they're moving beasts, the barriers. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. let me know what you've got. Uh, I thought Vegas was a great start to the five-year plan, says Simon from Killaben Bay, but I'm awaiting the eyeball figures from the USA Fox Sports 1 channel. Interesting comments from Matty Johns about the USA contacts told him they got started following NRL during covid as for a while, it was the only live sport on TV anywhere. And in brackets says, thanks again to Peter Volandis. My mate and I are already discussing going over with families in 2026 to coincide with our 15th and 20th, respectively. Wow. Renew vows, dressed as Elvis, Little Chapel, then go to the NRL games. Wives are on board, started savings plan for the trip today. Well, that's great. And there's a bit of impact straight away, isn't it, Simon? Thank you for that input. Um one of my mates who went over there and I was texting him last night has just had a wow of a time. He thought it was really good. And, yeah, I had some FOMO, but I thought what I'd do yesterday was sit back and, and watch it just like you and you and I. You know, sit back and watch it from my lounge room. I had a busy Sunday. I had things that were going on. We had cricket going on and all sorts of stuff. So I had to sort of manufacture my day around it, and that's how I consumed it. And I just get kept getting this overwhelming sense that it was an event. And if rugby league can put on an event like that, then why not start to think big? And we won't know the the net outcome. I, I don't know if we ever will. I mean, I don't know how many, you know, how many, how much access we're going to get to the, to the dollars and cents that they make. But we'll start to get a good idea or not of whether this thing's got legs. And I think it has. Uh, Jeremy says, I know you're an expert on these matters. So do you think the Viva Las Vegas song was played too much during all of the media promotions? Possibly not, but ask me next year, Jeremy. (laughs) Maybe a couple of times too many. Um, But yeah, hey, we weren't weren't there. The lead up to it was was pretty extraordinary, wasn't it? When When you think about it, good and bad. It was doing my head in the way that we were talking about Vegas being on Mars and, you know, starting to report about what kind of seats they'll be sitting in in the planes. I mean, it was it was just starting to get a little bit crazy town. But at the end of the day, you've got to put uh, an event on. 
and they did that well. Uh, I thought Vegas was brilliant, says Dazza the Dragon. The naysayers would boo Santa Claus. The World Club Challenge wouldn't have to travel from Australia um, that the NRL double header gets. If I'm thinking big ideas, it's a magic round at Wembley or Old Trafford. Okay. Sure, time zone's the issue, but there are 90,000 Aussies in the UK and at least a million rugby league fans in the north of England. So play to your strengths. Thank you for that. On the Vegas adventure, I think it's been a terrific success. And I think your last caller commenting on the possibility of an NRLW team is a great idea because, as we know, the college is over there. I've got to spend the same amount of money on their men's games as they are their women's. And to have that as a possibility of branch into the college system would be outstanding for the NRL. Yeah, the other part is the combine as well. What do they take out of the combine? What do they get out of the combine? I, I saw a little bits, little bits and pieces of it. Um, but hey, if you if you're plucking one or two players out of a combine that perhaps we didn't have any ex, have any exposure to previously, then that's not too bad. This isn't the the magic bullet. This isn't the you know the the be all and end all. But it's definitely worth taking it for what it is which is a game that for so long has been talking big but thinking insular and getting down to the nitty-gritty, which we'll get back into very, very soon, has now delivered big. And I think they should be applauded for that. Barat Sundarason, after that first test, good morning to you, Barat. Good to catch up with you. You probably just heard that call there. So Will Pekoski is a topic of discussion, and it's a serious discussion to have. And he'll be getting all the right assistance medically professionally everything won't he oh he certainly will uh good morning matty always good to talk to you and uh, look up uh, the final call or uh what happens next will obviously uh depend a lot on what his, his doctors are saying uh because it's it's not a new uh new problem for him um you know he's dealt with it for 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 a long time now and, and also he's been very open about what it's been like uh to be will Pekoski. you know often we in these kind of cases, um, uh, it's always just uh, second-hand, third-hand information. But uh, it, it, because of just who he is and the way he is, uh, so honest and uh, uh, candid about everything he's been through, the, the mental health side of it as well, uh, I think we're all aware of uh, how difficult it, it, it is for him. Uh, but it, we're also aware that uh, just before, uh, what, just two weeks ago, uh, he, he gave that interview to the Cricket Victoria podcast and he said, um, he's sort of getting over it. He's, he's on the other side of the hill and immediately he makes that hundred. So I know it's, it's, it's a setback and, and every, like a lot of commentary on, Oh, um, you know, we need to put, put an end to this or like, you know, this can't keep happening. Uh, but I mean, having said that, I think Will Pekoski is in a place where I think he's best, uh, uh, this is the best place to handle it. And I, I think also the people around him, the doctors and everyone else, um, uh, will will be you know it will be in a position to uh, make sure hopefully that uh, this isn't the end and he can continue. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really if we just put it in cricketing terms, and I think you've summed up that perfectly, Barat. But if you put it in cricketing terms and and where you should never play sort of you know the the, the massive game of assumptions, but where will Pukowski should have been right now, and and what the Australian selectors particularly and Cricket Australia and those in the know and all the experts. Will Pukowski, by all rights, should be opening the batting for Australia. And, and and that was the plan all along for this young man with the talent and the skill that he's got. And unfortunately, everything that's that's gone on for him has meant that he hasn't been part of that scenario. So we, it's just amazing the sliding doors moments that he's suffered and the flow-on effect that that's had 
on the current makeup of the Australian team because if Will Pukowski's going through unscathed, Steve Smith isn't opening the batting for Australia and Cameron Green would be going, hang on a second, how do I force my way back into this squad that I had to move out for Mitchell Marsh to come back in? It's quite crazy. <laughs> it is. And one uh, brief opportunity he got to play test cricket. He, as anyone who had seen him in shield cricket um, expected him to, just felt like he belonged, right? He made that half century in Sydney, um, looked really at ease. In fact, even uh, at, at better ease than David Warner, who was coming back from injury in that test match. But um, look, I think when he scored that 100 last, last week, uh, Mary, like it felt like uh, a release, not just for him, but for everyone who's interested in Australian cricket, not just in Australia, but around the world. Uh, and, you know, it might sound a little unfair, but but the reason that this Will Pekoski uh, concussion story gets so much uh, uh, so much coverage is also because he's Will Pekoski. I mean, he is the precocious talent. He, uh, like you said, he looked like a 100-test minimum kind of cricketer when uh, when I saw him for the first time, and everybody else did as well. I remember being on commentary at the Glenelg Global when uh, him and Marcus Harris like, put on that incredibly massive opening partnership. Uh, it feels like he, they're still batting. That's how long it felt they they batted against South Australia. And uh, you know, and it's not that he can't play the short ball. I think people just assume they see one clip of him getting hit and say, "Oh, that means he can't play the short ball." No, I mean his. Um, uh, if you look at look, if you've ever watched a Wilpakowski innings, he plays the pull shot and the cut shot as well as anyone. Um, you know, so it's just that. Uh, because he has that history, uh, these kind of moments just get even more highlighted and then, then, you know, people immediately jump to conclusions. Yeah. The first test win by Australia, 172 runs at the end of it, which puts into perspective the 174 not out from Cameron Green. But, gee, he <laughs> had, which is, you know, he had, a, he had a handy bloke pushing him for player of the match honours by the name of Nathan Lyon, who fell nine runs short, Barat, of that, of that elusive half century. But... Um, counters that by collecting 10 wickets across the match. I mean, no wonder Paddy Cummins says, if Nathan Lyon retires, I'm, I'm finished as captain. I'm just going to walk away because he's that kind <laughs> jokingly, obviously, but he's that kind of player. I don't even think he was joking, you know. Um, <laughs> and, 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 you know <laughs> and when he said that, like my first thought was, I remember when Pat Cummins had just taken over as his captain at the Gabba uh, three summers ago in the Ashes. Um, and I asked him about captaining Nathan Lyon. I said, look, you've barely captained at any level, and then you, you're cap- about to captain someone who's uh, just about to take 400 test wickets. So, uh, and he's, at that point, he said, look, um, you know, I, I'm just going to leave it completely in the hands of Nathan. Uh, but obviously, even Pat Cummins' captaincy has grown uh, over the years in, in, with regards to how he's used Nathan Lyon. Uh, and Nathan Lyon has had a lot to do with that. I mean, he's kind of carried him along in that sense. And, uh, you know, even yesterday morning, it was Pat Cummins who felt that uh, Lyon should bowl from from the commentary box end for a couple of overs. But then, you know, Nathan Lyon walked up to him and said, you know what, mate, I know what I'm doing. Put me back uh, at the other end. And it took him three balls to get break that partnership. And uh, then he just ran through the rest of the uh, New Zealand batting lineup. But, yeah, I mean, look, he's. I, I said this on air. I said he's the... Uh, the best pure finger spinner uh, Test cricket has ever seen. Uh, I know Ian Smith that's sitting next to me wasn't 100% convinced, but but he is. I mean, there is Ashwin, there is Murli Dharan, but you know they use different parts of their hands as well to to bowl off spin. But he's just um, something else in the line, and he looks hungrier and fitter. I mean, look, um, you always look for a silver lining, don't you, Maddie, when you get a bad injury like he did at Lords. But who knows, if anything, it might have extended his career and you might see Nathan Lyon wheeling away to 
2027, which is what he wants to do and win a series in England and in India. Yeah, yeah, that five, uh, and you mentioned Murali there, so that five for is his first in New Zealand and joins Warney and Murali as the only bowlers to have done fifers across nine countries. I mean, he's just ticking all the boxes at the moment. So a couple of changes, well, at least one change for the Kiwis as we head towards the second test later this week. So Will O'Rourke's out with a hamstring injury and they'll they'll probably call in Ben Sears. They would have been tempted to knock on Neil Wagner's door and say, are you sure about <laughs> retirement? Uh, I think they flirted with that idea. But honestly, like, and I've been a Neil Wagner fan for, for more than 10 years now. Uh, and, like, you know, he also did feel, I'm sure you've seen clips of uh, uh, my failure to win the dress-up competition. Yes. That, uh, the base we deserve. And Neil Wagner is also a good man. He said that he was voting for me and he didn't <laughs> the eight-year-old kid dressed like a fox should have won. But, well, that's a debate for another day. <laughs> uh, but... I do, in, in a strange way, I do feel that they shouldn't go back to Neil Wagner because it almost feels like a step back. I mean, ideally, he should have played this test, right? And because he wasn't going to play this test is, when, is why he retired. Um, New Zealand need to move forward. I mean, they really need to find some, some young kid like Ben Sears. Uh, I saw him in the Nets. He's quick. He's got that extra X-factor pace about him, uh, which is what they lacked uh, in this game. Willow Rook was impressive, uh, but, you know, after a point, he, he also kind of uh, looked a little toothless. So, uh, they need a new X factor, and I mean, if it were to be Neil Wagner playing again, um, well, so be it. But I, I do think that they need to move forward, and uh, Ben Sears could well be uh, someone who will, you know, grab our attention. Like, look, de- debutants or debutant fast bowlers seem to be doing well against Australia of late. So, so why not add another one to that list? Yeah. All right, mate. So second test starts Friday morning, nine o'clock uh, Friday morning our time. Terrific coverage, um, absolutely brilliant. So enjoy that second test. Thanks for your time this morning. No worries at all, Matty. Always a pleasure. Barat Sundarayson there. And on that uh, text says, Matty, apologies to you and Hads, but Jared Whaley, Ian Smith and Barat are the best test commentary team going around. Brilliant. Yes, and all those that are joining them. Adam Collins, of course, in there as well. Um, I love it. Absolutely love it. 0457 736 736 is the text line at 1300 01 1170 if you'd like to give me a call on the Alltel open line. Now, Spencer Lenu said straight after full time when he was asked... Um, about this. He said, nothing. It's all just fun and games on the field. That's it. And he said, I'm not worried at all about it. That has then been um, uh, taken on social media by some of the biggest names in the game. Um, Cody Walker had his say about it. Katoni Staggs responded about it as well. Latrell Mitchells had his say about it. It has also apparently spilled over into the hotel afterwards where there was some words said to each other, um, to from from team to team, essentially in this. So it continues to really bubble over. Uh, straight after the match, as you can imagine, um, it became a talking point. And here's Kevin Walters when he was asked about it at the press conference. Yeah, he's pretty upset in there, but we'll leave that in the hands of the NRL to police and adjudicate on. We support Ezra and our player and. Um, in everything that's around that. So he's adamant. I won't make any more comment on it, except that we're supporting our player, and rightly so. Okay, so that's Kevy Walters on that one. Trent Robinson on the other side of the fence had this to say. Yeah, I've heard of it like you guys have, so I, there's no comment from me about it because I, I can't have any opinion on it. I don't know what happened. Right, so Ezra's adamant, not Kevy. That doesn't mean it's right. You know, he obviously made the complaint, but that doesn't mean that it's right. It'll go through the 
formal process as it should. No, I haven't spoken to him. I spoke to him about the game, but not that. Uh, Lottie Takiri wasn't particularly pleased with what um, Trent Robinson had to say, and, and he's had his say about that as well. So he said, I don't get how Trent Robinson sits in a post-match press conference and, and accuses Ezra of not being right. I'm behind Ezra all the way calling this stuff out. As you can imagine, um, Peter Volandis has said, we will do everything we can to stamp out racism completely in the game, but it's now in the hands of uh, the judiciary. So he's been charged, Spencer Lenu, for alleged racial abuse, and that will now take its next part of this whole sorry saga. Speaking of the main players across the weekend, so, of course, it all started with Manly against South Sydney in a blockbuster game as well. The winning coach and the coaches were part of the storyline leading into this one, but the winning coach from the Seagulls, Anthony Seabold, post-game. Obviously, there's, there's 24 games in the season, so we actually prepared the bulk of our pre-season. My 13 out of our 14-week pre-season was built around the other 23 games. We had one week where we really um, narrowed our focus onto this particular game, um, but I thought it was quality footy played by both teams. Um, you know, one of the things that I was most proud of from our group was when we went behind 20 points to 12, I think it was, we... Um, yeah, we kept fighting, and that's all we wanted from our group. Keep fighting hard, play our style for you, as Chad said, and, um, yeah, we're able to come away with some points. 36-24 was the final score in that one. So what's that 60 points scored in the opening match of the season, followed by a 20-10 scoreline between the Roosters and the Broncos. From the Bunnies' side of the fence, here's Jason Demetria. Obviously, the intercept tries a dive over from dummy half. There's a grubber kick. You know, there's 18 points there where we, you know, we're probably got to be a bit better than that. Um, like I said, I think you know it's round one when you're not holding onto the ball and they're getting back to back to back sets on you. That's where the fatigue plays a part, and probably did a, a bit in there. But as uh, Cam said, we need to be better at that. You know, we defend our try line. Magn- I thought excellent the first half from a process perspective. I thought we were excellent, but we let ourselves down in the second half. So there's, like I said, there's a 15 minute period there. I think they scored three tries, and for me, that's where the game's won and lost, and that's where our best learnings will come from. And, of course, the Rabbitohs play the Broncos in round two. So they'll get back. It's uh, Thursday, the 14th of March at 8 o'clock up there at Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane. And Manly will play the Roosters, the return bout from Vegas, essentially, on the flip side, down at Four Pines Park on Sunday afternoon at uh, 4.05 p.m. So that's the takeaway, or they are the takeaways from the coaches across the weekend. And we've been speaking about the bigger picture, haven't we? The broader picture about what all this means. As you can imagine, Peter Volandi's had a pep in his step after what unfolded in Vegas. This is just the foundation. It's like building a house. You've now done the foundation. We've sent a benchmark. We've got to improve from here next year. But the results have got to be coming through with American viewers. So we'll be interested to see how we went on Fox 1 tonight, how many viewers we got. Um, we need to see how many subscriptions we sell to you know, watch NRL. But it's not going to happen in the, in the 12 months. It's going to take three or four years. But I am now more confident than ever that we can make tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars for the game that will go back into grassroots. So that possibly answers the question that has continually come up from you on our text board this morning. What, what are the numbers, Matty? How much money are you talking about here? What's the, you know, what are the metrics, to put it in those terms? Well, that's right there from Peter Volandis. You know, he's talking to the big, big, big millions but he also knows that it's not going to be off the back of the weekend. Now, the Fox Sports 1, the FS1 um, coverage numbers will be interesting. Absolutely. I reckon they'd be looking even closer at those Watch NRL app 
subscriptions. What's a pass mark for them? Don't know. That would live in the spreadsheet on Andrew Abdo's computer, I dare say. But the Fox Sports 1 coverage numbers, that would be interesting. That's the big daddy over there. So Fox Sports 2 is where they started on because of the college game that went in. But sometimes, as I was saying to Chucky this morning, sometimes when you're, you know, whatever you've got on Fox Sports 1, if it, if it takes you into overtime, it keeps a lot of viewers that might necessarily just get on up and, and move on. And by the time they switched on, I think the first thing they really saw was a full flight at that stage, Jason Saab in action. Um, so some pretty spectacular stuff. It was, what, 17 minutes into the game, 15 or 17 minutes into the game. Really, really interesting. The first serve, of course, right here on SEN. Brett Phillips joins us on a Monday morning with some more good stuff to talk about, BP. Good morning to you. Alex Demonor does it again. Yeah, he certainly does. Uh, Matty, I'm over here at uh, Indian Wells where he's about to uh, venture over. And look, this was uh, the, the same result that he uh, yeah, got last year. And unfortunately, that didn't translate into a, a great Indian Wells. We can only hope uh, for a better result this time. In fact, I think right now he's in San Diego because his partner, Katie Bolter, is about to play a WTA 500 final in that part of the world. So he's uh, made the quick flight from Acapulco to San Diego. He'll be here in the desert uh, tomorrow, but yeah, look, always tough to defend your title, no doubt about that. And there were certainly parts of the last week where he didn't play his best tennis, so particularly that win he had against Stefano Sitsipas, and that's that's how far he's grown. So he wasn't playing at his best, and he beats a guy of the caliber of Sitsipas, who what he was zero and ten against uh, coming in. So that that just shows the level he's playing at at the moment. It is delightful, I've got to say, Matt, to uh, watch Alex Stevenor play at the moment, and now really belong in this uh, top echelon of. Uh, men's tennis so yeah hopefully he can have a, a good couple of weeks uh, here in Indian Wells yeah um, and I wanted to talk to you about that I love it when you're over there because it's just a, a whole different take isn't it tennis paradise like you, you are dead set in tennis heaven over there it is beautiful we've been on site uh, today and uh, gathered a few chats uh, for the show uh, tonight uh, qualifying has started uh, today normally it always starts on a Monday so it's a full uh, two weeks arena Roddy Nova's our one Aussie in qualies uh, today, I've actually sat down with young Taylor Preston. Uh, the 18-year-old is doing amazing things. She's our best prospect in women's tennis. Her first time at India Wells, and she just looked around. She thought, my goodness me, I've got to get back here because she's not in the draw. She's come here to do the WTA Accelerator Program and hit with some players and gather a little bit more experience, but she wants to be in the main draw. She can see those mountains in the background, the beautiful crisp uh, desert air, mm -hmm. uh, absolutely delightful. So... Yeah, it's an incredible setting, no doubt. It draws me back. I think this is my sixth trip here and, uh, yeah, loving every moment of it. Have you got out to see Max Van, John McEnroe? So I, I, what's this, the second year in a row that he'll be doing this? But it, he plays. It must be, <laughs> what, ne next week or the weekend coming up? Yep. Yeah, we did it last year. And the Bryan brothers, uh, they play as well. Uh, it's yeah. brilliant. They have a, a village stage area set up. And I can tell you, it gets rowdy, uh, Maddie. <laughs> All the tour groups that come there, and they absolutely dance their socks off, let me tell you. So, yeah, J-Mac will be out here. They put on it. Look, it's brilliant. It's the equivalent, really, of a Grand Slam site, Indian Wells. I know they, prob they probably would love to have Grand Slam status, uh, but it's the best of the 1,000 tournaments in terms of the site layout, entertainment, uh, the value for money. Yeah, it's incredible. What about Yannick Sinner? When he, when he rolls through... The gates here, essentially, when he when he turns up and he's out there. I mean, he's a very different proposition now than when he was there last year, isn't he? Because this guy's 
is a superstar with a rocket. So I just wonder now how it'll all start to get real, especially in the environment that you're in. Oh, look, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, is absolutely the real deal. And, you know, we've been talking about this comparison with Alcaraz. In fact, Alcaraz, I haven't actually caught any of it, but I'm going to try and catch up. He's playing the Dale today in an exhibition. I think it's the Netflix match in Las Vegas before they both come to Indian Wells uh, later on uh, tonight. And, yeah, Alcaraz has got some work to do. I mean, he's the defending champion here, but Sin has certainly overtaken him uh, form-wise uh, since, you know, probably the middle of last year. That's the last tournament uh, that Carlos won at uh, Wimbledon. So Sin is the talk, and Carlos has got some work to do. And I can tell you on Nadal, in his own words, and there's a lot of people who probably think, just put away this whole hard-court season, just play the clay-court season if it is going to be your last He's been here for about five days, but just has not felt good in practice at all. So we'll see how he shapes up uh, Rafa. Hopefully he doesn't injure himself and that uh, maybe you know, derails the clay court season. So yeah. we'll, uh, we'll keep, be keeping a close eye on that. All right. And a final one. So next Thursday, they'll do quarterfinals. So men's and women's all quarterfinal matches all on one day, which is unique in itself. So... What's the thinking behind that? Is it just trying something different? Can you see this being a bit of a template uh, along the way? Yeah, just trying something uh, something different. I think every every one of these big tournaments is always trying to uh, innovate. It was interesting today. I was out watching uh, a little bit of qualifying, and a couple of men to the side of me were really impatient because uh, they couldn't uh, they weren't allowed in. Of course, only allowed in at the odd games, and the guy said. You guys, you you got to employ the Australian Open rule. They can come in any time. <laughs> the lady said. The lady said, "Well, I'm not breaking any rules. I can only lift the little barrier up and bring you in after the first and the third and the fifth. So there's still going to be the catching up to uh, innovate, like Australia's had. They've led the way in terms of crowd movement and interaction. But yes, uh, tournaments are always trying uh, different things. But it, look, it, it does certainly feel like a grand slam here. Yeah. All right, mate. We'll let you go. Thanks for your time this morning. Have a good show tonight. Thank you, Matt. Brett Phillips with the first serve live from uh, the amazing Indian Wells tournament. So tennis paradise for a reason. That, that's one that I'd put on the bucket list um, just because you hear so much about it. It'll probably be the last time, well, it will be the last time that Andy Murray has played at Indian Wells. He's been there 15 times before this. He intends to retire before the end of the season. So we could pretty much count this one for the three-time major champion, um, who was in the finals. I don't think he's won. He hasn't won at Indian Wells, but he'll be there for the last time. And some 19 million US prize money up for grabs. So that's the highest ever. So it's it's a big, big tournament. There's no doubt about it. The Australians go in there in really good form. And Brett Phillips has the lot. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is our number. Thanks to our new open line partner, Alltel. Awesome service, great products. Switch to Alltel today.